O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About a decade ago, I read a short article that I still remember. I guess it was memorable for its strangeness as much as anything else. It was about people in the Philippines and Malaysia and Japan being killed in bar fights while singing karaoke. It almost always happened over the singing of one song, Frank Sinatra's My Way. Observers of this trend said at the time it was hard to pinpoint exactly what all of the violence was about. There were plenty of possibilities. Some men in the Filipino culture are known for shows of machismo and violence, and men there also pride themselves on singing. And so bad singing can often lead to a fight. And the Philippines also has a high incidence of illegal gun ownership, You roll those things together with a dark bar, a late night, and too many beers, and it's no surprise that bad things happen. But then, there's the song. My Way. My Way was almost always the song. It had actually been outlawed in some municipalities. One Filipino interviewee said this about that song, I did it my way. It's so arrogant. The lyrics evoke feelings of pride and arrogance in the singer, as if you're somebody when you're really nobody. It covers up your failures. That's why it leads to fights. Maybe it should cause us to stop and think that the song My Way might be so objectionable in another country, because here in America, the idea that I did it my way is rarely called into question. Why wouldn't you do it your way? Whether you're looking back at Abraham Lincoln or Rosa Parks, the American story is full of people who we are glad chose their own path. Why not be like them? But like so many things in life, doing things your own way can be taken to extremes. Independence isn't a bad thing, but it can become characterized by selfishness and self-importance and arrogance, what that Filipino critic called acting as if you're somebody when you are nobody. And that kind of independent thinking leads to fighting and loneliness and all other kinds of unhappiness. This week's scripture lesson is about a group of people who have been doing things each in their own way, and they are fighting about it. Paul's letter to the church at Galatia describes the most conflicted church community in the whole Bible. A a community that is wrapped in bitter conflict. This was the kind of church where the staff lies about each other in order to gain the favor of the congregation. This is the kind of church where members use their money to gain influence or the pastor embezzles it. 
This is the kind of church where leaders in the church play silly power games behind one another's backs. Of course, none of that has a thing to do with what Jesus had in mind. It's what happens in the church when people are in it for themselves. And as they do in churches still today, people thought about these things in the ancient church. And so Paul's word to the Galatians is a warning, a warning against doing it my way. Bear one another's burdens, Paul says, and in this way you will stick to the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. Care about someone, the good of someone other than yourself, says Paul. It's the opposite of acting as if you are somebody when you're not. It's the opposite of living my way. Contemporary journalist David Brooks has made some similar observations. His most recent book is called The Second Mountain. It's about moving past personal achievement to a more satisfying, more joyful life, a life centered on others. Brooks begins with a commentary on how our culture puts the self first. For the last six decades, he says, the worship of the self has been the central preoccupation of our culture, molding the self, investing in the self, expressing the self. Capitalism, the meritocracy, modern social science have normalized selfishness. They have made it seem that the only human motives that are real are the self-interested ones, the desire for money, the desire for status, the desire for power. They silently spread the message that giving, care, and love are just the icing on the cake of society. When a whole society is built around self-preoccupation, its members become separated from one another, divided and alienated. And that is what has happened to us. Brooks says whether we're talking about the skyrocketing rates of drug overdose and suicide or the vitriolic nature of our politics, our lack of joy in life is often related to our outsized focus on ourselves. And he suggests that renewing our emphasis on the good of others is the only way to heal. His book tells the story of people who have kept their focus on others and who live with the joy so many of us are seeking. It's a good message for American people on Fourth of July weekend. It's also a good message for Christian people because Christian people have always had a special way of talking about this thing we call freedom. 
The irony is that the best definitions of freedom have never been selfish. Freedom is not about being detached from other people. Freedom is not about being detached from the needs of the world. Real freedom is found in taking responsibility for others, what Paul calls working for the good of all. This was the freedom tradition of George Washington, of Harriet Tubman, Dorothy Day. In church history, it was Martin Luther back in the 16th century who probably made the most famous contribution to this argument. It was in a little treatise he called Christian Liberty. In that short book, Luther offers two definitions of Christianity, and he says they have to exist together. One is that a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. And the other definition is that a Christian is a perfectly dutiful subject of all, servant to all. A perfectly dutiful subject of all, servant to all. Both of these definitions go together, and you can't have one without the other, says Luther. In order to feel truly free in this life, you must make yourself a servant, and only in living the life of the servant will you know what it is to be free. It sounds paradoxical, but it ends up being true for plenty of reasons. The greatest proof is that when we ignore the needs of others, when we focus only on ourselves, we find ourselves not more free, but really and truly trapped and enslaved. When we place our highest value on accumulating more money, more power, more recognition for ourselves, there never comes a time at which we have enough of those things. We just become more and more aware of the things we still don't have. Now, on the other hand, turning our attention toward others has a surprising set of rewards. Not only does it free us of the endless need for more, but it frees us from the fear and stress and anxiety that comes along with worrying about yourself. Am I going to be embarrassed? Am I pretty enough? Do I have enough money? Do people think I'm smart? What if everybody finds out how messed up I really am? When life becomes centered around other people and not around the self, all of these daily stressors suddenly start to melt away. We start to see ourselves not as a list of deficiencies, but as a valuable person, a person who can help somebody else. We see ourselves the way God sees every one of us, as a person who is good enough and who has enough, even enough to give ourselves away. 
This is the tradition not only of Martin Luther, but it was taken up by Americans like Abraham Lincoln and Rosa Parks, who did it their own way, not out of a desire for self-advancement, but as a way of serving other people. As David Brooks explores lives of joy in his book, at one point he talks about religious experience. It's surprising that most of the stories he tells about spiritual joy do not come from people who we would consider free. Now, he tells a series of stories about spiritual giants who found themselves in prison. Anwar Sadat, Vaclav Havel, Viktor Frankl, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, In each case, their story is about how the experience of being imprisoned takes away everything else. Material striving, external freedom, their busy schedules. Inner experience and spiritual states become all that they have. And the realization dawns upon them that their inner states are actually the essential experiences of their lives. Freedom in prison. Freedom while trapped. Imagine that. I close with that idea this 4th of July weekend for two reasons. First, to remind us that we are not so trapped as we often may think. Whether your prison, your prison, is addiction or debt or a terrible mistake in your past or keeping up with the neighbors or any number of other things that have you feeling trapped this day, there is a way out. Paul writes that we should not isolate ourselves in our own problems, but should work together for the good of someone else. May that be a reminder that we are all here because we are part of a community. You are part of a community. We should hold one accountable for how helpful we are to others. And when you are feeling trapped, this should be a place where you ask for help. I also note Brooks's stories about these prisoners to remind us this day that there are far too many people in our world who really are not free. There are more people living in the world today in slavery than there were in the 1800s. 27 million people. Our country has the highest rate of incarceration in the world, and most of them are people of color. It is our new slavery. Human trafficking is a reality, not only around the world, but in our very own city. Immigrants and refugees the world round live as prisoners in terrible conditions and they find themselves there only because they were prisoners 
in their own homes first. As this long weekend of American celebration comes to an end, I invite you to consider not only the freedoms we enjoy, but the responsibility that comes with that freedom. Consider the legacy of those who have lived for others in our country and consider how you can do the same. Not sure what to do? We have in our very own city the Freedom Center, one of the finest resources for learning what you can do about the realities of modern slavery. You don't even have to go. You can do it on their website. What joy might you find in discovering how little is required for you to help someone else find freedom? May we find our real joy in the way of the Luthers and the Lincolns, the Tubmans and the Parks, who came before us. Amen.